0: And
1: now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci Fi for Me Radio is live from the bunker.
0: All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am. The editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And, uh, yes, we were off yesterday. I've been a little under the weather, but, uh, getting there, getting there, getting better. Everything's, everything's working out. Everything's working out. I'm not dead yet, so, you know, just a flesh wound. Good to have all of you here with us. We are live over on Facebook, Odyssey, and, uh, and YouTube. And... uh, I, I don't know. I don't know about this uh, Being real or not, but just to give people a heads up. I mean we're we're skating the edge of 2,000 subscribers, so we're we're getting right there But I'm starting to see this thing here a couple of people have posted this screenshot I have yet to see this actually in the wild over on YouTube but apparently some people are starting to say that YouTube is, is doing this. Uh, it says, this video is popular. Due to limited creator history, we're limiting the number of viewers subscribed to this channel to help this creator reach a broader audience. So basically, if this is <coughs> accurate, excuse me, if this is true... Then YouTube is limiting the number of people who can see a video in order to expand the audience to see the video. This makes absolutely no sense to me at all. And I don't know if this is real or not, but if it is, um, um, this this is kind of a weird thing. We're available over on podcast platforms as well, and... It's part of that whole diversification of, of where we put our programming because you put all your eggs in one basket, you could get hammered. Uh, very much like uh, you know, consolidating a number of different companies in tech could, uh, could draw the ire of the Department of Justice. And that is the subject of our discussion today. And my guests, uh, they've been on the program before. Uh, Cameron Pasha and Paul DeGarabedian. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks very much for being here. i don't to be, on, to be here. So this, I don't know if this is entirely uh, in everybody's wheelhouse, especially when it concerns like my, we've got Microsoft buying uh, Activision B- Blizzard last week. Well, at least announcing the deal. This week, we've got Sony and Bungie doing essentially the same thing. And the Hollywood Reporter comes up here in the last... Oh, when was this? This was January 26th. With mm-hmm. this article saying, Concerns for Hollywood mega-deals emerge amid Justice Department posturing. And, mm-hmm. okay, Justice Department is starting to flex their muscles. This is not, this is not something unusual. We've seen this before. And... According to this article, you've got a lot of federal antitrust uh, noise being made, a lot of sab- saber-rattling, with regard to the the Warner Media discovery deal, Amazon buying MGM, uh, you've got Take Two out there buying Zynga, and I read here in uh, the New York Post, Directv and Dish are back in talks. As well. So, all of this consolidation and, 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 and everything coming together as one little company where we have, you know, three companies own everything in the world. Is this, are we at the point now where we've, we, you know, here's the line? Because I was listening to Richard Hoag talk about it on his channel, and he said at some point, It feels like the regulators are going to have to sit there and, you know, they let this one pass. They let this one pass. They let this one pass. At some point, they're going to have to sit there and go, okay, we got to draw a line here somewhere. Are we getting close to that threshold, do you think?
2: You know what I think is very interesting is uh, what you put up there at the beginning about your video being blocked because they want to make it more popular. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That kind of reminds me of this where there is so much technology and so much going on that they're trying to to put a square peg in a round hole trying to figure out how to regulate things that are still in a sense in their infancy although merger, mergers and media mergers are nothing new but it does seem like 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 you said is someday it's going to be three companies two companies or one giant company owning everything and and I guess the concern there is that it, and believe me I'm no expert on antitrust law I don't pretend to be I'm just going from a common sense perspective and I'll definitely defer to Cameron. Cause he knows, I'm sure more about this than I do, but it just seems like they're trying to get their hands around what's going on with all these companies or not all of them, a few of them trying to own everything. Yeah. It's very interesting.
0: Well, and, and Brilliant. Dave, Dave mentions in the chat, back to the Ma AT&T days. I mean, the AT&T yeah. breakup took what, 20, 20 some odd years before they finally managed to break that up as a monopoly. And you go yeah. all the way back to Standard Oil, back in the late, you know, in in the turn of the century, you know, the Rockefellers and the and the J.P. Morgans and all of that. And moving okay. forward, you know, you've got in 1948, you had the Paramount decision that broke up the, the different studios owning
2: the consent decree all
0: everything. So this verticalization up until a few years ago was considered uh, illegal. I mean, we, we shouldn't be allowing this stuff to happen. Now, I'm I'm not one to... I'm not a big proponent of over-regulating industry, and I know, you know, historically, if you look at the differences between Republicans and Democrats, you know, the stereotype is Republicans have always been pro-business and, and Democrats regulate things, and and... The Clinton Department of Justice went after Microsoft back in 1998. uh, 1998. So, you know, the the idea of regulating versus deregulation kind of comes and goes with whichever administration you've got. I mean, Reagan was a big deregulation guy. Does this kind of follow that it's inevitable because there's a Democrat in the White House, we're going to get overregulation like this? Or is this a bipartisan thing where it actually makes sense that we should scrutinize these a little bit more.
1: So, so I'd like to answer that. and it actually links to the the, the image that you put up in the beginning. Uh, we're living in 1984 land, right? And just like that image that, that, you, that you presented, which is, you know, the language being used to flip the reality of things. Um, so I have I have a very strong opinion about this. Uh, and it's just based on my intuition and being in this business for 20 years or so it's on the screenwriter side of things. The, TO ANSWER YOUR QUESTION ABOUT WHETHER IT'S JUST DEMOCRATS OVERREGULATING OR WHETHER IT'S BOTH SIDES OF THE AISLE, uh, THE ANSWER IS BOTH. AND BECAUSE THERE'S A SPECIFIC EVENT THAT IS COMING ON THE HORIZON THAT IS A THREAT TO THE SYSTEM ITSELF, uh, WHICH IS THE MERGER OF DISCOVERY AND WARNER IN MY OPINION. BECAUSE DAVID ZASLOFF WHO IS the, THE CEO OF DISCOVERY HAS PROVEN THAT HE IS PURELY FOCUSED ON PROFIT uh, and not focus on political ideology. I'm a big fan of Discovery. I, wa- I have Discovery Plus. I watch it every day. I'm always watching some Bigfoot or UFO show. And you know, he survived decades of mockery of Discovery being this place where it was all these reality shows that the audience wanted. People wanted cooking shows. They wanted ghost hunter shows. They wanted Bigfoot hunting shows. And that was something that Hollywood mocked for decades and made him an incredibly profitable business because he didn't care. What the you know what was cool? He cared what the audience wanted, uh, and he gave it to them to the point that he's able now to at least attempt to purchase one of the biggest media conglomerates in the world, and a media conglomerate that has an element to it that's very important to the current political system, CNN. Right. So already I'm seeing from working in the industry, I've worked with Warner Brothers several times, Warner Brothers Television Studios. Um, we're already seeing a great deal of panic at Warner Brothers that this merger will go through and that Mr. Zaslav will go in and clean house of Warner's, a studio that in recent years has become very less focused on storytelling and more focused on whatever the individual executive groups think is politically viable or what they want to promote. And uh, and so that's something that I think the executives of Warner's are terrified of. I'm seeing people resigning on the television side, uh, movie side, there's a lot of Uh, desperate efforts to try to clean up before the guy comes in and see whose job is left. But the element uh, that there's only been some rumblings about, but I think is the serious issue why it's gotten to Washington, is that there is already talk now in Hollywood that he's going to do that to CNN. He's going to go in there and say, why did this go from the number one news network to a place where 800000 people are watching? You know, I mean, CW does better than that. Right. How did that happen? Right. And uh, and maybe it's because he would argue and I think some people would argue as well that the, that CNN has perhaps lost some credibility as being an objective place of journalism. Uh, and in the last few years, and as a result, I think Mr. Zaslav will go. Okay, if that's the reason people aren't watching, maybe we should pull off some of this political slant and go back to actually critical analysis of both parties and 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 everything that's happening in the news and actually reporting things and not pretending certain things aren't ha- happening because it's very uncomfortable for executives inside the CNN structure. So CNN, however, represents the uh, the mouthpiece of the entire political structure of the United States government right now, in my opinion, uh, and that that includes both Democrats and Republicans. So you got somebody coming in whose entire goal is audience oriented, profit oriented, and he could potentially go against a network that is being used, in my view, very much like 1984, the Ministry of Truth at this point, which I think is tragic because that's not what Ted Turner wanted it to be. Yeah. Right, But I think in the last couple of years, we've seen it become something that's really quite shocking. Uh, and so I think that's the issue that is underlying because, you know, politicians never say aloud what the real issue is for them. But seeing the rumblings inside of Hollywood, the people are afraid at Warner Brothers. And I'm hearing the people at CNN are afraid for their jobs. Um, that's Mr. One Man whose entire goal. I mean, I don't know what Mr. Zaslav's politics are. I, I couldn't care less. And his philosophy is I don't care either. I, I don't care what my honest politics are. I just want to give them what they want. And uh, that's going to be shaking up an industry that sees itself as the arbiter of information and of truth. And uh, that's a flip of, of power from from the power structure to the actual community. And we're seeing efforts like what they're doing to you on YouTube, allegedly, with this video. Like, you know, you're so popular, we're not going to let people see it. Right. That's a up up down decision. Cameron, you, you, up you bring up, up
2: a really interesting point because you know you could look at this, and you're talking about the political side of it, which is absolutely very important and very interesting, and adds a different layer to this. Mm -hmm. And then you have something where it's like on the other side of that might be, you have one entity buying up an entire library of content. Let's say it's Amazon wants MGM. So I think it's interesting to try and parse out what what are the antitrust situations that are detrimental, let's say, to consumers or society at large and which are not. In other words, is it just better for me if I have a one-stop shop, if some entity, if I'm just a, a typical consumer, do I care? I mean, that's the thing. And, and it's not for me to care, although you may if your prices go up, if there's a monopoly, if you can only go to one uh, streaming service to get everything, I think it's really comes down to the idea of competition and the fact that if one entity is allowed to become so big, just gobble up everything. And you, uh, Jason, you mentioned that the the, Ma, the breakup of the Bell system or mobile, I, I remember that way back in the day, yeah, right? That's a classic example. And now look where we are now with how many cell phone companies and yeah. and all that. But yeah, it's 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 incredibly interesting. Do you, do you both think that uh, perhaps the the pandemic accelerated all this, or was this inevitable? This was all, these types of things were going to happen anyway.
0: I have to wonder how much the streaming technology factors into all of this because mm-hmm. you're essentially. If you go back and look at the Paramount decision of '48, the the idea of you know the studios make it and they control all of the pathways of distribution out to the public, and you know they own the theaters, they own the distribution companies, they you know all of this. Now we're essentially at the same place. You've got yeah. the movie studios generate the content, and now they have a streaming channel or they've got some pathway to get it to the audience that bypasses anything else. So if you want to see a Disney movie you have to watch Disney plus, which costs you yeah. money. And there's not I think there's a a, a a less of a free market in play. Yeah, they're they're competing against each other and so you're going to be you know prices will be affected that way. But if I want to watch Disney, I'm not going to get it on Paramount Plus. you know, so it does right. seem like there's a little bit of a monopolization of that vertical again. That you know, perhaps the the pandemic accelerated a lot of this stuff. I mean, now we've got Paramount Plus announcing they're going to go into another what fifteen markets here in the next few months. Disney Plus is exploding, so it seems like part of this could be pandemic accelerated, but it feels also like this this was inevitable as soon as streaming became a thing, and that became the focus of every studio. And I know, Cameron, you've addressed some of this with with Bob Chapek and the focus being so much on Disney Plus. And we had what, you know, what happened with Warner Brothers doing all that day and date stuff to try to get, you know, HBO Max off the ground. Yeah. Is the focus supposed to be there? Should it be there? Or or is that, that going to end up shooting themselves in the foot
1: in the long run? Well, I, I think you've hit a very profound issue with regard to streaming because it it, it is a thing that I remember 15, was it, 15 years ago? It was 10 years ago at least, mm-hmm. when we had that last Writers Guild strike, right, when they were talking about how broadband was coming. That's what we called it, right? Yeah. And at the time, people didn't say, there's no broadband, you know, and, and, and now streaming has become, Netflix ended up becoming the dominant player and changed the economics of, of television and all of that for for writers and So we're living in a very different world that even a lot of people declined to see coming and it still came as a train, right? So, and I think the events of the last two years have been a catalyst to everything that's happening in the world. I think everything, all the changes that were being suppressed, it's like the, you know, it's like that boiler that's about to blow. It just blew it open. Um, But I do think we are in a place where where streaming is going to have to consolidate in this way that look what happened with, with cable. You know, we all got cable, we got satellite, and we got all these different channels. And I pay a couple of hundred dollars a month for all these different channels on satellite and Dish TV and whatever. Yeah. It, it looks like it's getting the same place. If I want to watch all these different things, I got to pay, you know, 10 bucks here, six bucks there, four bucks there. End <laughs> up having a new satellite, you know, thing where I ended up paying 100 bucks a month just to get all these different streaming channels. <laughs> I don't want all these streaming different stream channels. I and I've got right now, I've got Netflix, I've got Disney Plus. Uh, I've got Apple, but I don't think I ever watched anything on Apple. And that's it, right? I haven't felt any desire to get HBO Max. I haven't felt any desire to get, you know, Paramount and this stuff. So this is the problem with streaming as well, is that people just, when they have this choice, they're like, well, I don't really care that much about what HBO Max is putting out right now, so I'm not going to pay for it. Yeah. Cameron, right? isn't
2: there just, and, and Jason, isn't there? there's almost too much choice. And as a consumer, maybe I want, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, I want one company, one app, everything on it
1: yeah as a consumer yeah. you do want that right <laughs> you do want that as a consumer <laughs> but there's dangers with that of course I mean and oh, of course that's what the danger of monopoly is that okay you get it all in one place now we're gonna try to five hundred bucks a month for it right right uh, and and you got no choice right so those are the dangers um and so the dangers run two ways the, the, the dangers run both in the people that are the old cushy club of Hollywood that wants to remain in power and and wants to tell people how to do things and how what to believe and also the dangers are for, are for the uh the audience which is you know, going to face the possibility of of you know, not everyone's going to be David Zaslav, who's who's going to use the consolidated power for the audience, right. A lot people like I. I got all these eyeballs. I, I'm in control now. I'm Big Brother. So let me well, ask. On the
2: on the flip side of that. Oh, sorry, Jason. No, just go ahead. Quick, go ahead. But on the on the flip side of that is like sometimes I like having all these brands. Like mm-hmm. I identify Disney Plus with something. I de- identify Bravo with sure. something. I identify Hulu with some YouTube Premium. You know. Because that's just, I think as consumers, we're not indoctrinated, but we learn over the years to kind of brand identify. And then, and I think too, for some of these companies, by buying up everything, they they may be diluting their brand. I mean, if suddenly, just for example, and I'm making this up, Disney buys all kinds of content uh, aimed at a much more mature audience, which they do have some of that. But I mean, do, do something with, dil- with
1: Miramax. It was what they did with Miramax some time yeah. back. Yeah.
2: There you go. So that, you know, something like that, where there is that brand identification, which sometimes I think is good. So you kind of know what you're getting when you go to like you said, and even you said uh, earlier, we were talking about cable TV. I remember when Cinemax had one type of content, HBO had a different type of content, and you kind of knew sort of what you were going to get with each of those. So uh, it's it's almost too much choice uh, today. and, And I think Jason, as you were saying earlier, like the consent decree and used to be that Paramount movies played in Paramount theaters. And uh, they they broke that up for, for I, I think it was a good reason. Um, we have the system we have today because of that. And they've talked about going back to where studios, and I don't even know, I keep going back and forth on the consent decree. One day I know what it means, the next day I don't. One day I think it's yeah. happening and, and the next day it's and not. And did it
1: work? National Amusements, which owns Viacom, ended That's up becoming right. the dominant theater owner of the world. So I mean, good point. Did it good make a difference? I mean, because of the power this is this is what I I've, I've had this argument with with my friends in the in the writers guild uh, about the some of the choices they made recently in attempting to, you know, challenge the agencies and the power structure of the agencies by making us fall fire agents and the end result is they they got what they thought they wanted but now the agents just aren't representing writers the same way. And, and the, the power is shifting to directors and, and others, which is what I warned would happen, right? And yeah. so the, what, the nature of power is, it's like a raging river. You can dam it up, it's just gonna go somewhere, it's just gonna go around. Exactly <laughs> it's just gonna right find right. a way around, right? Yep. And so, you know, and that and that's why whatever happens here with these uh, efforts to control monopoly, it, it, it might delay certain things for better or worse, the power will just reassert itself because there's just too much energy behind what's happening now with the media okay. globally. Yep.
0: so um, so let me ask this and, and I know uh, we've apparently hit a snag on our internet, but I'm, I'm recording this so I'm gonna go ahead and, and keep going here because it, it keeps okay. trying to reconnect. But let me ask you this going off of, of Cameron's point and and looking at the various different decisions that are about to come down the pike. what mm-hmm. if uh, what if? Uh, the Discovery Warner deal is the first one where the Department of Justice sits there and says, okay, you can make the deal, but Discovery Warner, you have to get rid of your streaming channels. You have to divest yourself of the actual streaming service part of it in order to make this deal come together. So you can, you can become the big studio, the content creator but your distribution channel has to go someplace else. What happens then? Well, what, do, <laughs> what does the deal? Does the deal go through? Or do they still? Do
1: they still go ahead? Or or no? I would think
2: they want their streaming capability to be, to be there. But yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I, I mean, look, it's it, it, for me. It's going to be interesting because, like I said, any effort to try to regulate this will 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 just we met with changing forces that because everything's happening so fast, nobody can predict anything, uh, you know, so you can, you can make it that way. But then at the end of the day with, 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 with streaming, it's just coming down to choice, you know, as we're talking about. And so you can force me to get it on this particular avenue, but if I don't want the content, I'm not going to pay for that particular distribution outlet. So, so the effort to try to control it isn't going to work. I mean, look, look at HBO Max, you know, it's interesting I, as a, as a screenwriter, uh, you know, HBO used to be the Tiffany, right? It used to be mm-hmm. the platinum of, of it all. Everyone screenwriter wanted to sell something, become Game of Thrones and, you know, get it out there. Uh, and then I you know, I recently been out there with a major historical epic in the Game of Thrones vein, right? Uh, and I've had some success with it, which hopefully I'll be able to announce publicly in the near future. But, but in the process, when we put it out there, I was like, well, we got to bring this to HBO. And they're like, no, HBO Max is just looking for Gossip Girl stuff right now. I was like, what? they're like they're not looking for any more epics like game of thrones and all that they're looking they're, they're literally looking for gossip girl so i like so the hbo max is now the cw right and you know and I'll, well, i don't that's the reason I that's the reason i'm not subscribing to that because the identity of that of that distribution outlet is not something that i'm interested in right now and so you can't make me take it <laughs>
2: and karen you know you look back and jason you look back at hbo back in the day i mean oz uh sopranos 6 feet under i mean the the list goes on and on and I remember in the movie "I Love You, Man," he, uh, Paul Rudd's character says, "I have to stay home with my wife. I can't go to the Rush concert because it's not TV; it's HBO, and it's Sunday night on HBO." And that—that's—and there were so many great programs there. I think you're right, though. But these companies are evolving to where what they were brand identified with maybe 20 years ago totally different. And maybe that's just a sign of the times. Maybe they're reacting to the marketplace. But like you said, Cameron, the the Tiffany—you know—the idea of the. The Tiffany Network, as CBS mm-hmm. was, and, yeah. and HBO, it's all changing for sure.
0: Well, well and we've yeah. got this story here dated today. This is Variety. ATT is going to spin off Warner Media in a 45, uh, $43 billion deal. So basically, there was a couple of different ways that they could structure the Warner Media element of their company uh, going into the Discovery thing. And it looks like they, they could either split it off which requires a particular stock buyout structure or they could spin off I'm I'm not entirely clear one way or the other on how they're doing this but they're going to spin it off in a in a stock exchange deal and basically sets Warner Media off on its own I guess preparatory to make it easier for the merger with the Discovery to ha- to happen so uh, this looks like you know, to me, this looks like an indicator that it could everything could be moving forward. They've got signs from somebody saying they could go ahead and do this. Is this yeah, a step I, I, closer I, to
1: the deal? I, I mean, it's AT and T wants to make a profit on this thing, right? And 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 they want to get rid of this to Discovery. They haven't no they don't know how to manage warmer Media, and uh, they haven't in the last couple of years. And so they they wanna they want to get this thing off as quickly as possible. AT and T member still has tremendous influence with lobbyists and and politicians who love to take their money and so at the end of the day I think that's going to tr- that's going to if I may use the word trump that's going to trump to, some of the efforts to quash David Zaslav getting his hands on it so they're going to end up structuring a deal that's that's going to both make it easier for for Discovery to buy Warner Media and probably find some at least Legal gobbledygook, and I say that as a former lawyer. Legal, legal gobbledygook <laughs> to make it look like it, it addresses, <coughs> excuse me, structural <clears> concerns, <throat> concerns that somebody at the antitrust division and Department of Justice is going to raise. Right? They they want to push this through. I, I think it will be pushed through. I think there's too much energy behind it, and because we're in a financial crisis right now, Hollywood is collapsing. Yeah. And uh, if Hollywood was was in this boisterous place, they they could lobby to stop Mr. Zaslav, who they don't like and they fear from coming in. But they're not in that place. They're in a desperate place of struggle and survival, and Zaslav's got the cash. And you know, the the golden rule is: he who has the gold makes the rules, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how the world works.
0: And yeah. speaking of golden rule, we're gonna we're gonna take a real quick break so I can tell Google where to put their interruptions for us. And when we get back, we'll talk more about uh, the the discovery deal, but also I want to touch on a couple of things uh, uh, that Cameron points out with connection to how Disney is moving forward. So we'll get to that here right after this. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Live from the bunker, the show that's almost as good as bacon. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse, every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV.
1: Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV.
0: Too many buttons, too many buttons back live from the bunker jason hunt here along with paul good paul De garabedian and cameron pasha paul is a senior media analyst at comscore and cameron is a writer producer and as he says former lawyer cameron what was your what was your area of practice when you were
1: when you were in law well, I was only in law for about 18 months before I sold my first script. And I was like, see all later suckers. But I, I, I was training to be a litigator. I was actually at a very, very good litigation firm that if I wanted to be a lawyer, I would have remained at Paul Weiss, uh, Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Borton Garrison, which is a big, 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 big shot uh, litigation firm in uh, New York. And uh, one of the reasons I liked them was they were also very deeply embedded in the in entertainment media industry in New York City. They represent a lot of Broadway stuff, a lot of indie films. Uh, and... If I wanted to be a lawyer, it's still one of the best places in the world to work. So.
2: Cameron, if I ever get in trouble, I want you to be my litigator. I want you to represent me.
1: Oh, uh, that I let my I let my license expire a long time ago. I don't want it. I still want you because you could, you know, you got it, man. <laughs> well, I certainly know how to make an argument, even if the argument is wrong. I know how to make it. I like <laughs> it's it. It's much a trade at in law school. You know how to use <laughs> words to make your argument and convince people, even if you don't know what you're talking about. But it's, <laughs> I love it. That's what lawyers do, right? It's yeah. the adversarial system, and you know it's probably probably the best thing we got, even, though, even with all of its flaws. So, yeah. so be it. Yeah. Mezrus
0: points out that I'm done telling Google off about those interruptions, such language the world over has not seen. I I actually haven't had any conversations with Google. I just managed to decide. I decided to uh, <coughs> use use the system against itself. I guess so. That's uh, that's I'm 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 very slowly learning to adapt to use uh, to use all of Google's tools uh, in defiance of Google, I guess you could say. so uh, okay so the Paul, let me let me ask you this because ComScore looks at a number of different distribution channels and performance and statistics and all of that. How do yes. you how do you think the the Department of Justice, dropping the hammer on some of these deals. If you look at Sony buying Bungie for example, and and they're looking at it and the analysis that I've seen so far has talked about they're they're not looking so much at Sony buying the content that Bungie creates so much as it's the infrastructure, it's the it's the type of technology okay. they've got, the creative people that are there you have uh, a lot of uh, shift in focus now because Sony is sitting there going, "Hey, we've got a TV studio, we got a film studio, we got a music uh, a music label, and this could open up Bungie to this whole new world of IP, where it's not just you know Bungie's making video games anymore; they're creating intellectual property that can be exploited across all of these other screens. Same with Microsoft and." and and Activision Blizzard you know trying to make deals cuz they got Halo on 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 Paramount Plus and you know whatever whatever the reactions are to those trailers have been <clears throat> and and they've been mixed but you've got this almost an inevitable push for this integration across all of these different kinds of screens for the content. So it's not just, we're not just playing a video game. This is a video game that can also be a movie, can also be a TV show. can also be podcasts. What would, if the department of justice comes in and says, Ixnay on the deal way, what, what do we, what do what does that do to the, the consolidation or the conglomeration of, of various different distribution channels, do you think?
2: Well, that's really interesting because one of the things that it, that everyone's trying to do and that ComScore does is cross-platform measurement. Right? We have all these screens and and uh, they're all interconnected and interrelated. And especially for ad buying and for sales, uh, all these companies that do that want to know how does everything relate instead of everything being in a silo. Like here, here's the TV side. Here's the streaming. Here's the movie theater. Here's video gaming. Here's music. But they're all somehow interrelated. I think the measurement, I mean, look, with with these antitrust situations going on, if the, let's say there was instead of 50 entities, there's two. Well, theoretically, that'd be easier to measure. However, if there's two entities and they have under their wing or under their umbrella, countless uh, platforms, delivery systems, distribution arms, whether big screen, small screen, or everything in between, it just gets more, I think, important to be able to measure all that, but also gets more complicated. And as we know, with movie the movie's uh, box office, which I specialize in, now if you go back to the 60s, it wasn't reported like it is today. Everyone thinks that the transparency, the box office numbers was something that's always been there, it hasn't. Go back and look at the Hollywood Reporter, they really started, uh, and Variety, putting in the charts with the box office. That wasn't until like 83, 84, you know you had years where there were movies like the exorcist and jaws and mm-hmm. and some of the older movies that were huge hits that weren't really reported widely like they are today now part of that is because you want to be marketing and you know, using those box office numbers to get people excited to go see those hit movies but it is uh frustrating to many of us who love to look at the data to have total transparency with box office numbers but not with streaming but let's keep in mind with streaming they're subscriber-based models. How are you going to know how many times somebody watched an entire movie if they're just paying a one-size-fits-all price for a whole month of content? Right. Yeah. Then if you have like premium plus, a premium service, you could measure that. And Disney, when Black Widow opened, they put out there, I forget the number, but that it streamed, I'm just making this up, but like 40 billion times around the world in that opening weekend. But then on other movies, not releasing that information. And remember once a company starts letting that information out then they're open you know they want that control over it and then they'll even say like oh bird box had 50 million views let's say i think netflix put that out there in the
1: first 30 seconds yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's, all, it's all very subjective yes
2: it's, it's, so it's very subjective so depend and and you know everybody is frustrated that a lot of these companies streaming companies don't give out their numbers well what number do you want do you want the number of subscribers Do you want the view of each individual piece of content keeping in mind that most people bounce around watch 10 minutes of this and then jump off and you know how do you determine a full view is it somebody watches through the end credit i don't know that gets all into the minutia of that but it i think all this plays into that because if you have fewer entities controlling more content well then theoretically there might be if one company said we'll We'll open the books and show you what each piece of content is earning, whether it be subscriber-based or individual-priced uh, content on a piece-by-piece piece basis. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this affects measurement moving forward, if what? it makes it harder or easier.
1: The other-, the I, other well, I, go, go go I had a question for Paul. I don't know if you know the answer to this. The old, now allegedly outdated Nielsen system, do we know how, if I had a Nielsen's box, if I was one of the ones they had the box in the house, do we know if they counted if I turned off in the first two minutes or how long did the Nielsens require you yeah, to watch the show?
2: I don't know the exact answer to that. And I I know that there were, you know, the Nielsen families and they had a, a log you would fill up. But generally back then, it was like way back. There's one TV in the house and it was much easier. The Comscore system allows us the ability to know who's watching what. No, we don't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> that's all, you know. private. The CIA knows. But we know, like, if if the kids are in one room watching uh, one screen and the adults are in another room watching another screen, that can all be parsed out. It's quite amazing the level of detail that's there. But now, what everyone wants to know, and I think it's because we're spoiled by the box office, well, what was the number one movie on streaming this weekend and how much did it make? Well, that's a little different than one movie, one ticket, one person. One price. It's it's quite different to measure that.
0: Well, the other part of that too, and and Paul, you mentioned advertisers, because the streaming services bypass all of that. You don't have an ad-supported model all the way across the board. I mean, right. you look at uh, the CW streaming service, for example, CW and CW Seed. They'll have ads in their uh, in their runs, but it's not that the CW streaming app is not something that's a subscription model. And so you have those uh those advertisers, you know, the the ad the advertisers themselves and the ad agencies who are going to be kind of left out in the cold on all of this because you know, what are your options? Are, are you going to are you going to maybe uh, w- well, okay, let me let me throw this out. Let's say Disney decides to do a premium plus release for uh, Doctor Strange 2. And we're going to offer it, instead of $30, we're going to offer it for $15 sponsored by Ford. You know, some kind of a deal there where we're still going to do it as a premium plus. You pay extra to see the movie on Disney Plus, but it's a reduced price because now Ford's got their name attached to it.
2: That's really interesting because I could see that happening, although for certain brands, you don't want to dilute the brand with, hey, sponsored by such. I mean, there are certain movies that have a cachet because they go theatrical first and theatrical exclusive in the beginning. Yeah, there's other content where we're just used to it being like if I'm watching a piece of reality content that, that, that I've always known has been on TV, on the small screen and there's ads, it doesn't really to me, that doesn't hurt the brand equity of that piece of content and even with, with some of the movies that were shifted let's say to HBO Max day and date theatrical films for some that in because those films that did that uh, especially in you know when the covid when covid started mm-hmm. and HBO Max did that in reaction to or you know the parent company did that in reaction to the pandemic it seemed to dilute the brands of some of those films now dune was an interesting example because it did 41 million its opening weekend in theaters, but it was available at home. But Denny Villeneuve's brand and that epic nature of that movie, I don't think it diminished that film, mm-hmm. but I think for filmmakers too, and Cameron could speak more to this. If you're, nothing against small screen, cause small screen con- content is some of the best out there. But if you're setting out to create a theatrical feature and then that movie is suddenly shifted to the small screen, that changes how it's perceived in, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and from the filmmakers point of view, I think people still directors, filmmakers, they want to see their stuff on the big screen because despite the argument that, well, now people have, you know, 60 inch television sets that look like a small movie screen anyway in their house. But that's not what the theatrical experience is about. It's not about the size of the screen. You don't need to have an IMAX size screen. Um, You can have a small screen. Uh, But the theatrical experience is about shared uh, storytelling with strangers. Yes. that's the community experience that goes back to very archetypal of human beings in the tribe, sitting around a fireplace, hearing the shaman tell a story. It's, it's programmed into us on a DNA level. Yep. And, you know, there's, Agreed. there's a difference between totally. experiencing that in your home and experiencing that with the broader community. It's a, it's a community creating event. And that is why, theaters are very very important to me and i was heartbroken over the last couple of years where there were so many restrictions and the theaters looked like they were dying but and i was so delighted to see the audience coming back and championing the AMC when the yes. system wanted to kill it and why i mean people haven't asked is they, they, hollywood tried to dismiss the people supporting AMC and buying the stock as oh, just a bunch of day traders and and idiots watching you know Fox News who who think they can make a quick buck that's what it what, what it was it was people didn't know why they were doing it they were doing it because of this communal uh, shared experience with strangers so that's never gonna die it's never gonna die because it, the human soul requires it uh, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and so we're going to have
1: to figure out the economics of it, uh, and yeah. I think the pressures of the fact that people want this, and Spider-Man proved that people wanted this. I remember when Spider-Man when they said we're going to put it out there wide, and you know you, see, you go to the trades and you go to the comments on Deadline, whatever, and 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 the and the and, the, and the people the, the more afraid people are like you're going to no one's going to go, everyone's afraid of death, and like I am random guy posted, <laughs> right. And turns out people are like, you know what? Even if I die, I just want to die having had a communal experience. You know, it's interesting <laughs> to
2: say that, Cameron, and because Jason, when that movie opened, Spider-Man No Way Home, $261 million opening weekend. That's the second biggest opening in North America of all time, only behind Avengers Endgame, which opened with 357 million, but it ran around the clock that, that opening weekend. But it is true, I think, and we're looking right now, we're sort of in a very quiet corridor at the box office. I mean, this past weekend, all the films in the marketplace earned 36 million combined. And yep. Spider-Man's been number one, six out of those seven weekends. But help is on the way. It's coming. The Batman will be opening. And then I think the floodgates will open. We'll have a great year. But it's interesting to see how Morbius was moved. You know, we started seeing some movement down calendar. The fear factor is there. But if you have a movie that's really appealing, and let's say it, this is being proven in the in the numbers, has more youth appeal... Look at Scream, how well that did when it opened. And of course, Spider-Man knocked it off its perch again.
1: But it but the um, was packed. The theater was packed in Santa Monica, which is scaredy, scaredy town. When I went to yeah. see it, the theater, the theater was packed.
2: Yeah, and that gives me hope. And I've never lost hope for the movie theater. So I think it's going to be. But this this year, right now, we're, we're well ahead of last year at this point because there was really nothing much playing in theaters a year ago. But I think we will have a really good year. But right now, it. Sometimes I feel like the Maytag uh, repair person because it's <laughs> quiet right now, but that that's all going to change, and suddenly we're going to be off to the races. It'll be nice though when studios really do are, and are able to commit to that full year release calendar because right now it's the the brand new releases are few and far between, and if we have them, they're not necessarily appealing to a to a wide enough audience to or broad enough audience to, to bring in those dollars. But don't give up on the movie theater just because we have a few weeks that are down. And that's the other thing often in our world, it, you know whatever is happening in that moment, that becomes the new shift, the new paradigm. And then three weeks, four weeks down the road, everything changes. So I'm loathe to make any big pronouncements about the industry, except for what Cameron said, which is that the communal uh, experience of the movie theater is second to none and can't be replicated and is baked into our DNA to need that kind of experience. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, I think the other thing too, and we talked about this, uh, Paul, when we talked about, you know, Spider Man, the fact that Sony doesn't have a streaming service. What if, yeah. uh, what if one of the benefits of getting Bungie and getting into that, because the Sony does have the PlayStation Network and they've got that, but there's yeah. not the, they're looking at infrastructure. What if Sony decides they're going to step out? And instead of creating a streaming service, they're going to make their movies available streaming through the PlayStation Network instead. Maybe what if the PlayStation Network becomes their their well, Netflix?
2: Then filmmakers better bake that into their deals if they don't want their movies showing up on the small screen, or at least uh, theatrical first. And then, yeah, sh- you know, I don't think filmmakers mind if if their movies. And I can't. I'm not a filmmaker. Cameron is. I'll let him speak to this, but. If you're, if you're intending to make a theatrical film, you want it, I think, now in your deal that at least there'll be a theatrical window uh, in the beginning, at least, I don't know, 17 days or more. Because otherwise, if you give up that right, and like you said, suddenly Sony or, or any studio has a streaming service that that is available to show this content, you want to make sure this is not only are the laws changing, look at the antitrust stuff we're talking about but also individual deals and lit uh, and again, Cameron's a a former attorney or uh, maybe you're always an attorney when you, when you've studied, please don't say that, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, but that's going to have to be all these uh, technological changes plus uh, the, the content and how that's being presented creates a real opportunity, I think to beef up the language in contracts. Because things that heretofore, to I, I think with the, the Scarlett Johansson situation with Black Widow, clearly that wasn't baked into the deal that they had to go theatrical first with that movie. Now, you're gonna see that happening. Mm-hmm. So, But I think also with Spider-Man, the fact that Sony didn't have a streaming service available was actually a good thing for the filmmakers because if they didn't have a way to, I, although I don't think they would have gone that route with that movie, but it's something to consider yeah. that yeah. could yeah. happen in the future.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the events around Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit, which I predicted would be rapidly settled, and it was rapidly settled, you know, there's a lot of interesting stories on the internet uh, about whether there was a whole conspiracy or scheme behind that. I have my, I intend to be conspiracy theories. I think Hollywood is all a conspiracy, but I will just talk on the level of the surface level events of that, and the surface level of events of that was that it certainly reminded everyone in Hollywood that you need to address these things in contracts, right? Uh, And uh, And you know, you needed someone at the caliber of Scarlett Johansson, who's, who's the number one or, or amongst the very top three actresses in terms of money making ability in Hollywood right now. Uh, if they don't have that in their contract and that can lead to disputes, then that's a that's a lesson learned for the entire industry. Uh, and I, I just think that's going to be, you know, I, lower level actors, small indie film, small horror film, they probably won't have the leverage to get that in there. But it's going to become more and more commonplace. Uh, but at the same time, theater is not going anywhere, and so it's just going to be an addendum to that. And yeah. you know, they're going to make there's actors, big actors, are still going to make a lot of their bonus out of the theater. Yeah.
0: Now, Cameron, you've you've mentioned because uh, you've got over on your Patreon, you've got an article that somebody has has given you some information about. Mm-hmm. language internal to Disney talking about... And we've seen this now with Chapek and Susan Arnold and some of the different new executives that are coming into the Disney thing and Chapek's and memo, we talked about that and, and this, we're not going to fight the audience anymore, we're not going to insult the fans, whatnot. And it seems like if we're going to do business and we're in the business of making money, we should have people who have business acumen at the head of the company. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around you look at government agencies mm-hmm. and the whole antitrust and and the scrutiny that the the government officials have towards big tech, entertainment media and all you know, healthcare, I mean what whatever topic you want to do, you mm-hmm. have these suits who decide that they want to know better or they they knew no better and they're going to regulate all of this. How much Potential harm could be done by bureaucrats who don't really understand what it is they're trying to regulate. They don't understand the industry. They don't understand media. They don't understand gaming. They don't understand technology. And yet they want to, you know, one size fits all. We're going to hit the, every. I have a hammer, and every problem is a nail. And it doesn't matter if it's a different size nail, I'm just going to we're just going to pound it until it's flat.
1: Does well, that does that factor into this? Well, I, I think that the last 18 months has proven that uh, government officials often don't understand the things that they're seeking to regulate, right? Uh, and uh, and sort of, Ed, the funny thing is, a lot of my Hollywood liberal friends are like, man, I've kind of become conservative about government interference in people's day-to-day <laughs> lives. Uh, damn you, <laughs> the events of the last 18 months, you've made me a Republican, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, I think, I think we're seeing that the historical critique of bureaucracy and of, of disconnected leadership uh, of people trying to manage things that they do not understand has fairness to that critique. I think we're now seeing that on a national, perhaps global scale. Yeah. Uh, and as a result of that, we're seeing people resisting. Them. Uh, and we're seeing people whose money, especially large, big, big shot corporations, whose money is now being affected by all kinds of regulations that they are beginning to feel are politically motivated and less motivated for an actual understanding of events on the ground. Uh, and so that that is a culture shift that's actually happening uh, and is going to. That's why I don't think that this effort to regulate or 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 stop the 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 Discovery Warner Media uh, merger is going to be successful just because I think that the dynamic political dynamics have changed around that. Um, but, you know, the I wanted to reference the uh, what you talked about on my Patreon. So, on Patreon, I've had a couple of interesting scoops in the last uh few weeks because, to my surprise, you know, I've got a Patreon with a couple hundred members, which is lovely, but a, a few of them are actually Disney employees, which I didn't know. I mean, it's they're, they're under there and I didn't, they're just random person on my Patreon. But then they started sending me DMs with stuff that's happening inside of Disney. One DM was that you know, we had a discussion last time, a bit of a debate as to whether Bob Chapek's memo uh was really anything meaningful or just corporate hot air about the audience. I will, t- the first DM I got was actually a Disney employee who had been there since the Eisner days, a 20-year-plus employee, who said, "Certainly, he and the members of his department interpreted the memo as a directive to change, to change uh, what's going on, to, to bring the company back to profitability, and to remove political posturing as a pillar of the company in the, under the Iger years." Uh, and so. That's certainly how the employees were interpreting it. They said, "Okay, this is a major shift uh, culturally. And then in support of that, just over the weekend, another another separate Disney insider that's on my Patreon uh, sent me some letters that were being sent to uh, shareholders from Bob Chapek and Susan Arnold, the chairman of the company. And the letters he said and he compared them to letters that were sent in just one year before under the Iger chairmanship of Disney. Uh, And the language was markedly different. The one under Iger from just one year ago, February of last year, Uh, was filled with, literally, and he used the word social justice, social justice platitudes. It was more about talking about how uh, Disney is going to be a company for using the buzzwords, equity, inclusivity, and all those things, and then laying out what he called the six pillars of what we're going to do to achieve that, right? Flash forward one year, February, Chepeck puts it out, and there's a couple of boiler boilerports Yes, We support diversity and blah, blah blah, and then they just go and then they go off to say, but this company is is a for profit company, right? And we're, we're we're focused on on making money. And interesting enough, the Iger memo had no reference to making money. Right. And this is a letter to the shareholders. And so it, the, the, the whole tenor of the, the letters had changed within one year uh, that that, yes, you know, everyone's going to put the boilerplate. We support diversity, but there wasn't any list of here's the 10 things we're doing to achieve that. Right. It was just a little sentence in a paragraph. Let's move on. Let's talk about economics. And it was all about how we are going to be focused on providing shareholder value long term. SO DEFINITELY INSIDE OF DISNEY, THERE IS A MARKET CULTURAL CHANGE UNDER THIS NEW REGIME, AND I THINK IT'S A HEALTHY CHANGE. I THINK ANY COMPANY THAT IS NOT PROVIDING ITS its CONSUMERS WHAT IT WANTS WILL NOT SURVIVE, uh, AND THAT'S BASIC HUMAN ECONOMICS, RIGHT? Uh, AND I THINK SOMETIMES WHEN YOU'RE VERY RICH AND YOU'RE DISCONNECTED FROM YOUR CONSUMER, YOU DON'T UNDERSTAND THAT UNTIL YOU'RE NO LONGER AS RICH AS YOU USED TO BE. Um, SO YEAH, that, that THAT'S WHERE WE ARE OVERARCHING. There's a, THERE'S a MAJOR CULTURAL SHIFT, AND IF THINGS ARE HAPPENING, WHAT'S Broadly, what's happening is everything is shifting on the ground. This is not something that can be controlled top down. It just isn't. We're going through the age of Aquarius. We're going through this (laughs) thing where it's about mass communal behavior, which elites can no longer control in the way they once presumed they could. So uh,
0: real real quick round robin, then let's let's look through all of these different deals that are on the table and, and get your... Uh, up or down? Do you think this passes or not? You've got Amazon buying MGM. Do they, do, do they let that one go through? Yes or no?
2: It's a library of content. I don't know what the downside would be to allowing that. It would just offer more stuff for the for we subscribers, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's I don't think there's much of an antitrust argument because, frankly, Benjam is a basket case of a company right now uh, and ha- unfortunately has been for quite some time, despite the fact it has this storied, uh, you know, library. And, wow. you know, and I think, you know, James Bond has managed to shoot itself in the head quite literally. And so <laughs> even their even their greatest flagship is going to need to be rebuilt from the to top from the bottom up. So see, so yeah, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any political motivation to try to stop it. And I don't know that there's any economic motivation to stop it. Yeah.
0: All right, so what about uh, Sony and Bungie? That goes through?
2: I'll let Cameron go first.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know enough about the Bungie deal, so uh, I don't either. Yeah. So I, I can't either. comment on that. Uh, you know, I'd have to look into that. I don't want to make up stuff. I often do yeah. make up stuff, but I don't want to
2: do that here. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm not going to do it.
1: Well, and then we've got Microsoft buying Activision
0: Blizzard. Everybody, The general consensus seems to be that that's going to go through uh even though yeah. that there are still some some lawsuits in california that are going to have to be dealt with mm-hmm. um but yeah, that seems think... that seems like it's going to sail through okay
1: yeah i mean it's uh i i don't know that that changes the uh the video game world that much right yeah. uh you know you know because Microsoft's yeah, Microsoft isn't really out there as the video game leader. It's trying to buy something for that purpose. Right. It would be more you know, if universal, you know, Vivendi and all these other groups got who are making video games all got together, then you might have a cartel. Right. So I don't think that's the issue. Yeah. All
0: right. I and, agree. And then <laughs> we think that the Warner, the Warner Discovery deal is going to go through, too.
1: I do. Yep. I think they're going to make yep. political drama about it. Uh, but I think that the, they just don't have the the political capital to stop it. But I think there's going to be a lot of drama around it. But I just Warner's is acting as if it, this is a done deal. My feeling is they've had conversations with Congress that it's a done deal, but everyone has to make out their political stances publicly because that's how Congress works. Sure, term. Sure.
0: All right. Well. We will leave the discussion there, and uh let me. Uh, that was go a ahead
2: quick and... hour. It Jason. was. It it always it, it always hour. just goes. I didn't think like I had that. an hour, but I made an hour for you guys, <laughs> All
1: right, and we, well, we appreciate it. that. And, and I'd love to come on. I think you have a channel too. I'd love to come on at some point. I a, do.
2: Have... Uh, many screens, big picture is my. uh Well, it was a podcast. We're retooling it as a video.
1: Uh, oh. got,
2: I'm gonna and then you're going to get the, the YouTube
1: warning. It's too popular. <laughs> <laughs> it's in your best interest that we don't let people see this. But Jason,
2: what? we the three of us can't merge because then. Be yeah, there you monopoly. go. There you go. All
1: right. Yeah. I'm, always, I, I, I'm always a low key figure. I'm an independent contractor. It's my nature. That's why I couldn't be a lawyer. I just I'm too, uh, I'm too, I'm too out there on my own.
2: I love it. I would love to have you on the show and Jason as well. It'd be awesome. I'd
0: be happy to. Yeah. So the mini screens, honor. big picture podcast yeah. video, uh, this is being retooled, but you can find it right now on Apple podcast, Cameron Pasha over on Patreon where you can find uh, his material and we will put the links to all of this in our show notes. So all of you can uh, find them and Paul's also on Twitter. Cameron is, mm-hmm not so i was booted
1: i was booted <laughs> off Twitter. and that's actually god protecting me because you know it's, it's not good for anyone who is a in the industry to actually be on twitter right you know <laughs> nothing good comes from it
0: well you know when when the nfts and twitter blue actually really take off and capitalism sets into twitter you're gonna have a whole new landscape over there so maybe maybe good will come out of it <laughs> <laughs> but I doubt it. All right, that's going to do it for us uh, today. So we uh, do appreciate everybody in the chat. I've seen a lot of people in there. Good to have you <laughs> all. And if you've got thoughts that you want to share with us, the email address live from the bunker at sci fi for You can always leave a comment here, and uh, feel free to share uh, this or any of the other videos. If you're new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, and we will do this again probably tomorrow, assuming that I'm still alive, and uh, you can uh, check out any of the rest of the videos that we've got here in the meantime. Go check out Cameron's Patreon and and Paul's podcast, and we will do this again. Remember, folks, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022
1: by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.